0: so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. I wish I was doing a more leap year based monster for this episode, but you would be surprised at the lack of monsters that there are linked to the leap year. There's literally none, even though you could argue that the leap year in itself is slightly mythical. But I hope this one fills the gap, as it is a pretty special one, Before we kick off the episode, I will precursor this by saying that I am not a native Chinese speaker, although I am very lucky to have a native Chinese speaker within my family who has coached me through this episode and the pronunciation. I will say for any English speakers, it sounds really unnatural because it naturally has tones within it that we don't usually use in the English language. So it might sound a little bit weird, but I promise you these are the actual pronunciations from the Chinese language. Thank you so much. So, after that ramble, where are we heading this week? Obviously, we're heading over to the east in China, and we're looking at a monster that is revered as a good luck charm, the pishou. The pishou is a dragon-like creature that has the head of a Chinese dragon, the body of a Chinese lion, and has the legs of a Qilin, which is another mythical Chinese creature that has cute little stubby legs with lion's paws and claws. They are usually shown with their mouths wide open, showing off their large fangs, and they look very similar to the Chinese dragons you might see as puppets during the new year to represent Nian, another famous Chinese dragon. Pichot also have very large bird-like wings with feathers, however they were not actually able to fly, but they represented that the creature had enough power to fly up to the heavens either way. They had horns on their head that are curled upwards, and a long tail with a tassel or ball on it, which is usually as long as the tail itself, that covers their butt, basically. They are usually either gold, bronze, or silver in colour, to reflect their link to metal and wealth. However, you may sometimes see them in white, black, and red, to represent purity, warding off evil, and love and lust, respectively. They are also immensely strong creatures, as well as being incredibly intelligent and ferocious defenders. Which leads us on to... What exactly do they do? The Pi job was pretty simple, as they are considered the protectors of both the living and the dead. But as well as this, they are the protectors of feng shui, which if you know anything about furnishing a home, you may have heard about. This is the Chinese system of luck, and is used to encourage and bring luck into the daily lives of everyone. I only mention home furnishing because if you're a westerner, this might be the only context you've heard it in, and we use it in the home to bring good luck when we're thinking about, say, positioning furniture. But it's more than that. In Chinese culture, feng shui is the luck of everything, and is linked back to the star deities, Tai Su, who represent the Chinese zodiac and the general foreshadowing of the year ahead, based on a 12-year calendar. In regards to their protector role over the living and the dead, the Pishu are immensely defensive of their home, which is any place that their likeness is placed. They would guard it against demons and evil spirits, as well as the diseases and sickness caused by them, by draining their energy and melting them into wealth that they can consume. For their masters who die, they would help them ascend into the heavens on their backs, as well as keeping a patrol over the heavens to keep demons away as well as protecting their owners. But speaking of wealth, this is probably what the Pishu are most well known for. They were considered an auspicious monster, which sounds pretty regular, right? But there were only five types of animals mentioned within this in Chinese folklore. The Pishu, the Dragon, the Phoenix, the Turtle and the chilin. This means that they were linked to wealth, happiness and good luck, but the Pishu specifically was linked to luck for those who had a bad year previously. The Pishu actually comes in two varieties based on two genders, which they actually have separate names for. The female Pichu is called the Bixie and the male is Tian Lu. And the way that people tell them apart is actually by their antlers, which I didn't describe earlier because they are such a defining feature of the two types. The male has just the one antler, whilst the female has a pair. However, history has blended this together overall, and now both are kind of expected to have the two antlers. They did have two different jobs though. The bixie was to ward off evil spirits, and to assist anyone who had especially bad feng shui. The Tianlu was in charge of wealth, and would go out to find gold and gems, whilst the Bixie would be charged to guard it once it was back home. The Pishu are completely benevolent creatures to people though, and are only bringers of good luck and defenders against the bad. Although, speaking of which, one good note is that if the owner had ever broken the law or was actively bad, the Pichu would no longer respect or obey it in any way. These are really special creatures though, and we could just talk about their diet in terms of how special they are. This is because they only eat a diet that is made of gold, silver and jewels, and they cannot physically eat anything else. They also cannot poop because they do not have buttholes, And this is really important later on, so do remember this. It means that all the wealth that they consume is stuck within them, which is what makes them the icons of good luck with cash money. Lastly, there are two questions that are fully outstanding as we end this section. One is, is the monster tangible or a spiritual being only? And two, are there more than two of them? And if so, how do they come to be? The answer to one is assumed to be that they are spiritual beings that live within the likeness of them on earth, such as statues and figurines, so we can't physically see or touch them. But like the previous episode with the disc, they are the watchers over us spiritually. The second, I will cover later with their origin, but we're not entirely sure how they reproduce, We just know that there are many, and that's about it. Now, moving on to their etymology, we technically have just three words to digest this week. Pishu in Chinese very literally just means panther, but it also means fierce beast or brave warrior. Bishie means to ward off evil spirits, and of course, I would usually break all of these words down into root words but Chinese doesn't tend to break down this way. Tianlu doesn't actually have an English translation that I could find that 100% backs it up, but otherwise we potentially have Heavenly Beast for this one, but don't quote me on that. Their history though is a lot more solid and goes a very long way back, which sometimes I say when I'm talking about the Middle Ages, But this monster really goes back. It goes back to 206 BC, which was in the Han Dynasty of China, which is really a very long time ago. This was considered the golden age of Chinese history, where there was a new coin economy built and a strong emperor to guide the country into new territories, funded by this new currency. There were huge breakthroughs in science and mathematics in the country, but still a respect and interest in the supernatural, the folklore, and alongside a love for astronomy. An important note here is that because this is so long ago, it means that we might be missing some information because it was lost to us. So this might explain some missing or assumed information in this monster's description and origins. The Pishu were first mentioned in the Book of Han, which is a history of China throughout the Han Dynasty, which was between 206 BC to 23 AD, when Emperor Wang Man fell. Within this book, it describes the Pishu as the separate genders having their different antlers, as well as the ferocity of the creatures in battle. This mention made them synonymous with the Chinese military, ...and they used them on their flags and banners throughout the numerous territorial wars of the ancient East. There was also an emperor, Wu, of the Han Dynasty... ...who declared that Pishu were the treasure of the empire as they protected and obtained gold... ...which meant that only the royal household could have one in their home. This rule actually wasn't abolished in law until the end of the Qing Dynasty which was in 1912, which is absolutely crazy, and now you kind of see them all over the place. I would usually bring up the monsters' origin here, but I have left out on how they came to be, which I would, again, usually discuss with their description earlier, but it kind of all comes together so nicely that I thought I'd save it to this point. So the Pishu's actual origin story is a little bit sad, They are creatures born of heaven and are the favourite of the Jade Emperor, who was the first god of Chinese mythology. Unfortunately, the Pishu overindulged and pooped on the floor of the Jade Palace, where the Jade Emperor saw it, and spanked the Pishu so hard until its anus disappeared. Yes, you heard me right. The butthole disappeared, and this is why it can no longer poop. Because of this, though, they can eat as many gems and monetary items that they can, but none of it ever leaves them, which of course gives them their wealthy reputation. Another interpretation of their origin is that they are the ninth son of the Dragon King, who is the Chinese water and weather god. The son was ridiculously spoilt, and whilst playing on his father's desk, broke a seal that represented the power of the Dragon King himself. In punishment, he turned his son into an animal being the Pishu, and cursed him to only eat things representing the power of wealth. This monster is so prevalent and respected within Chinese culture, that it still lives on 2,000 years later. The Pishu is still seen as a symbol of good luck, and they decorate the tombs of the Han dynasty rulers, but they're also really commonly found in the home or in businesses within China, Japan, Taiwan in the current day. If you're thinking about putting any of these up though in your house, there are some rules that make this feng shui, such as angling them away from front doors and from mirrors, or not putting them against your bed, as all of these break the good luck rules in place with feng shui. They are also still traditionally made of gold, bronze or silver, but also clay or stone is used, depending on where they're going as, of course, metals tarnish in natural weather and stone is a lot hardier for the outside statues. They are also found on the roofs of houses, palaces and halls of important people within China, but with a few other animals in suit, the peishu sits behind the dragon in this lineup, alongside the phoenix, the winged horse, and strangely, the seahorse, along with some other ones too. You are most likely to see a peishu in statue form around China, as these were commonly put up around the country. Most of these are within museums now, but they are still beautiful to look at. They are most commonly now crafted into tea pets and it's believed that having one in your daily brew attracts cash. And yes, I did go and buy one after this. Lastly, they're known for being cast into jade, China's iconic green precious stone, for their protection and wealth bringing properties. Real jade is very expensive, so it matches the energy of the Pichu just by default. For mythical comparisons, We've touched on a few here such as Neon, the New Year Dragon, who is very similar to this in that he is mentioned within the Chinese Zodiac and looks very similar to the Pichu in general. Another is the Chinese Dragon, of course, which seems like a very vague term from me. However, they were very much a monster without an official name in their own right. They have their own names, of course, depending on what dragon... But they were historically linked to the Dragon King, as well as Pishu. And Pishu are dragons in their own right, so they actually overlap quite a lot. Lastly, the Chilin, which is a really popular Chinese mythical creature that we mentioned earlier. They are deer-like, antelope-like, or even giraffe-like monsters, who are fully scaled up and are a bright gold colour. They are associated with royalty, as they arrive to see a new, illustrious ruler take their position when they do. But they are another one of those monsters that we would link to the Pishu because of their link with royalty. I covered Nian a very long time ago, but I am yet to cover the Chilin or dragons at all. So maybe I'll have something in store for you soon if you want to listen to more about these gorgeous East Asian monsters. Now on to modern media, there really isn't much about this monster specifically I'm afraid, so we've gone down the divine dragon route this week and I hope you enjoy them nonetheless. For art there really isn't much in regards to classic portrait art of the Pishu, other than statues that you can look at of course, give them a Google I guess. However, I'd recommend looking at the independent art this week for some really beautiful pieces around them. In movies, we have Mulan, Dungeons & Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon God, Yamato Tekaru, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Excalibur, Spirited Away, and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. For TV, we have Jackie Chan Adventures, Legend of the Dragon, Avatar The Last Airbender, Winx Club, and Dragons Riders of Berk. In video games we have ones such as Dragalia Lost, Pokemon, Tales of Bazaria, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, Dark Souls, Touhou Project, Jade Empire, The Legend of Zelda, Fire Emblem, Shin Megami Tensei, Kirby's Return to Dreamland, Heroes of Might and Magic, Arknights, Dragon Quest, Bayonetta, Luna, Monster Hunters, Final Fantasy, Akami, Elder Scrolls, Nexus War, Temtem, Dragon Age, Breath of Fire 4, Diablo, and Bayonetta. But my book recommendation this week is The Dragon, Fear and Power by Martin Arnold, for a higher level overview of all dragons within mythology, or for more specifically Chinese mythology and dragons, have a look at Dragons and Dynasties, an introduction to Chinese mythology by Yuan Qi. But now it's time for... Do I think they existed? I'm not sure about this one, honestly. Do I believe in dragons is one question here, which... I battle with on a daily basis, in all honesty, in this job. It also, whilst having the descriptive physical form, does not appear to humans, therefore places it within the spiritual world, which makes things more complicated. This monster really should be treated as a spirit connected to an object of its own likeness, rather than a tangible creature, which unfortunately does make it less believable to be real. However, I love that this monster is still respected within Chinese culture, and that people still craft these to be in their houses or on their jewellery for good luck and good prosperity. My sister is probably the unluckiest person I know, and so I'm considering buying her a pishu bracelet, but there are feng shui rules to wearing those as well, which I think she would forget and curse herself with bad luck a little bit more. This might mean, in hindsight, that I do believe in them a little bit, thinking about it. But what do you think? Did the Pishu have serious gastrointestinal issues all around ancient China? Let me know on Twitter, I would love to know what you think. I really liked this monster, and as always... I owe a really big thank you to my cousins Charlie and Shinron for being my amazing pinyin translators and pronunciation experts. I cannot thank you enough, it's very difficult as someone who has no experience in Asian languages, so a big shout out. We also love covering royal dragons on this show, and may there be many more. Next week though, we're heading over to Slavic Mythology, to a monster that represents the home and peace within it, but you might know it from the Witcher series and their horrendous title card screen. But make sure you keep a clean house next Thursday for the Kiki Mora. Just as a pre-warning that my annual two-week March break is coming up, I will be off of the airwaves from the 15th of March to the 4th of April for my birthday and the podcast's third anniversary to ring in three years, we do have a special on the 14th before I go away, but I will keep it under wraps until next week. For now though, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you are listening on. I've got the Twitter for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next, and I'd really love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube and Instagram are Myth Monsters Podcast, And the Twitter is Myth Monsters Pod. But all of our content can be found at mythmonsters.co.uk and you can find us on Good Pods, Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast too. Come join the fun though, share this with your pals. They might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky. And I'll see you later babes.